Across the Streams podcast, Kip Ione here, first ever episode of our brand new 40 series. And I, I guess R is the wrong word because Kane is fortunate enough to not be hitting the 40-year milestone like myself. So this 40 series we're running is strictly me, Kip by himself, for similar to Edition on the Drive segment, talking about a, a list, a category grouping of things that I think have helped shape who I am over these four decades. Um, so this first round that we're doing is 40 series, my favorite team sports contest. So it's 40 games that I can remember vividly in my brain and my rationale here on the podcast for why they maybe what was stood out about them and what it did for me maybe as a sports fan uh as just a person in general it'll be the first of many lists i've already got a plan for 40 video games 40 songs uh 40 trips 40 contests, you know, all kinds of different, 40 people, 40 influencers. Obviously, we, we won't be doing, you know, this every week, but I think for the next couple weeks, uh, the 40 series is relevant uh, because of me turning 40 recently, last week, actually. So this is the first Cross the Streams podcast 40 series with Kip. So it happened, everybody. Uh, last week, exactly a week ago, I'm recording tonight, 10.15 p.m., June 24th, 2019. Last week, June 17th, 2019, I turned 40 years old. 40 years old. Like, I can still remember a big billboard, not billboard, a big poster board of pictures my mom made for my dad. And I asked, what does over the hill mean? Uh, and she was like, well, that's when you turn 40. It's kind of a, it's a milestone event. And now here I am, myself, at age 40, uh, doing a podcast at night by myself. Kane, uh, as you heard in the introduction, doesn't have to worry about this for about two and a half more years. Uh, my wife doesn't have to worry about it for a couple more months. So it's here I am, 40. Some of my friends have hit the milestone already that are in the same age group as me. Some of them still have to hit it. But 40 is an interesting deal. You know, I've had 168 hours, seven days to wrap my brain around it. And I mean, I think I'm lucky. I don't feel 40, which is great. I still feel like sometimes, not when I look in the mirror, obviously, but when I'm, you know, just walking about my brain, maybe my self view is still like, I feel like I'm 28 to 34, somewhere in there. I don't, I don't feel like a teenager, but I don't feel like the old person I thought I would when I'm 40 either. Uh, but this series, 40 series, Number of reasons it's called 40 series, the obvious being the age I am now. But also, um, the, the 40 is the 40 things I want to get to in a list. Anybody out there knows me. I love lists. I love categorizing things. Uh, spreadsheets are like my favorite drug in the world. Uh, Excel spreadsheets, Google Sheets. So being able to do lists of things really appeals to me. The podcast lends itself to lists. Uh, the other version of 40 series you can find on Medium, uh, my Medium profile. Uh, I'll do a write-up of each one of these uh, that goes along with the podcast. I'm not by any means boring you to death and reading 
the 40 series to you straight from my medium article but i think they kind of go hand in hand you'll find all 40 of any particular category on medium and then you'll come over here to cross the streams and this 40 series will let you listen in on and explain why the 40 of them made it individual highlights of each one of the listing things etc just a nice smorgasbord of me being able to share you know being 40 and kind of what different things came together to get me here. Um, I didn't want to do the cliche like, oh, I hate it. I'm so old. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that bad. But I also didn't want to do the, oh, I'm 20 and I'm always going to be forever young because I've been around. You know, I'm experienced. The wrinkles on my face in these pictures I put together, you can see either on SoundCloud, uh, the iTunes podcast or on the app it, or on uh, the medium itself. You can see the progression. The first picture is me when I'm 10. There's a picture of me when I'm 20 rocking a hoop earring, which at the time, Let's get this clear. Let's, let's not get it twisted. 99, hoop earrings. I think Jordan might have just been starting to He finish his third go-round or he was about to retire. And he was still rocking a single hoop earring. So that was sick back then. Uh, there's a picture in the bottom left corner of me when I was 30. And then a recent picture of me two or three days right before I turned 40. So it counts. Um, funny side story. Lincoln, my oldest, and I were comparing his pictures when he was 10 to this picture of me. And boy, he got damn near all of my DNA. The poor kid looks just like me, has better hair now than I did back then, but you can see that. But looking at those pictures, those four guys there um, have been through things. I don't think I, don't, I would say it's not like this. Here's this sob story of all this strife that's existed in Kip's life. No, I think I've lived a, lived a pretty blessed life. Uh, but also there's there's things that have got me to this point and I think that's where I landed on this 40 series is being able to share some of these not as a you know a vanity project and look how cool I am I'm the first human being to turn 40 obviously not true uh, but maybe this will help you kind of think when you're driving in the car mowing the lawn listening to these things hey what is my 40 things in this category does I do I have some of those that Kip listed is that is that me too do I have a completely dis different list of things it'll generate hopefully some thoughts in your brain a stroll down memory lane a little bit and maybe even conversations in the kitchen when you're sharing what ridiculous things Kip talked about on his podcast today. Side note too with the 40 series, my first year as a head coach at Willamette University, 2009-10 season, my staff and I put in an offense uh, that obviously at the time we thought was ingenious and could never be guarded, but it was called 40 series. Uh, and any, anything we called out, 43, 42, 44, if you had half a brain, you could figure out that if we called 45, we were running something for our five men who at the time, Cameron Mitchell, was an All-American player and he would probably get us a bucket. We thought it was because we drew this cool thing. We should have known it was because Cam could make plays from the out, from the nail and beat anybody one-on-one. -on -one. So it had nothing to do with the, the half drawing I did. But we called it 40 series. So that, that also appealed to me in naming this segment. Uh, and obviously as it progresses, we can get Kane back on here to argue and yell and laugh at some of the things I put on the list. Uh, but this first one that we're going to dive into is my favorite team's games. First edition of 40 series. I'm going to, I numbered them on the medium site in chronological order, not necessarily impactful order, but I thought these 40 games, and there's a couple cheats in there that I'll talk about that got me to the even 40 really at given in the moment 
were super powerful, impactful to me at the time, some for more important reasons than others, but overall really shaped me as a fan. Anybody that knows me, if I said my favorite teams, almost everybody listening to the podcast out there that's known me for even a year knows there's probably Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys games on here. There's probably NBA favorite players teams on here, but as I go through this, you'll see that I used to have that fanaticism for the league for one particular team in in general. Uh, Notre Dame's on here. Georgetown's on here, and if you've been following me the last couple years especially, you'll see that my Dodger fandom goes way back, not just these last two uh, World Series games that they, that the World Series losses that they've had in the, going on recently. Um, so let's jump into these. The first one, number 40, and this is a huge fudge on my part, and I, and I apologize for taking a shortcut, but it definitely applies. Uh, Michigan State versus Indiana State, the NCAA title game in 1979. Yes, I was not on earth yet i was well i was on earth technically um my mom was still carrying me around in 79 early spring 79 i wouldn't show up till june but it's just too coincidental that for a large portion of my youth i idolized magic johnson wanted everything to do with magic had 48 magic t-shirts with the big huge faces on them that used to wear around they look like uh, baseball cards on your t-shirt and that's all i existed in was those shirts uh, and that was obviously Magic and Larry Bird playing, saving basketball, highest TV audience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, if you know my mom, she's told me thousands of times that obviously I was watching the game in the womb. But that's number 40 for me. That's kind of where it started. Because uh, I even today, I, I've watched the game on YouTube many times, showed my kids these, even though they have the short shorts and the game just looks so weird. Uh, but that was kind of the start of fandom. As you go through here, there's a couple other cheats I want to mention. Like, for example, I went number 37 through 30. I just put one, you know, one bulleted list and says Magic Lake, Magic's Lakers versus Larry Celtics. NBA Finals, 1984, 1985, 1987. Obviously, those teams played 20-some-odd games against each other in those three series. And I was, what, six or seven years old through most of them. I know that I was in front of the TV with my mom and dad watching all those. I can remember moments from all three series. Magic's Baby Hook, obviously. I remember eating Oreos in celebration after he made that. They were going to win the series. I also remember the clothesline fight. Uh, I think it was McHale on Rambus. I remember watching that and going, wow, they're really throwing blows. And my dad was yelling at the screen. My mom was yelling at the screen. Uh, so I blended all those into one grouping, number 37 through number 30 on my list, just those three matchups. And I'm not unique by any means in that those were everyone watched that. I mean, you could argue that's the, the turn of the NBA's um, popularity was with those three series over that course, really the decade of those two guys going at it. But for me in my house, that was like the real drink this purple and gold Kool-Aid and we're going to love the Celtics in here. I mean, I'm sorry, we're going to love the Lakers and we're going to despise the Celtics for eternity uh, purely because of those series. Um, and in my house, if you know my dad, Grew up in American Samoa, moved to Los Angeles when he was 10, was a diehard Lakers, Dodgers guy. Um, and also, my house, if you know my parents, the Lakers and Celtics wasn't just L.A., Boston. It wasn't just Magic Bird. There was also, like, even though, if you look back on it, Boston had plenty of African-American players. It was Showtime is black. The Celtics are racist white people, even though that's not accurate. That's just how we approached it. I mean, Larry Bird and Danny Ainge might have been, might as well have been out there wearing pillowcases for the Klan, for all we knew, in our house. So that's how in-depth, and we just I think that was the beginning of associating a team 
what whoever happened to be my favorite at the time or any teams we were a part of my dad's teams my teams Kane's teams uh, you're gonna if you're gonna be a fan you're gonna throw everything you are into that team and if they win you win if they lose you lose now later on in this list you'll see maybe my coming to reality moment of pulling out of that fanaticism but this was definitely the start of it uh, as you get further through the list, 29 is the first time you'll see any of the Dodgers stuff on there. And that's Dodgers versus A's, World Series Game 1, 1988. And I did watch that entire game. I didn't play baseball growing up past like minor league, Haas Automotive. Uh, one of the years, Little Caesars Pizza T-ball team, I think. My mom was our coach because nobody else would do it. Uh, but I did love the Dodgers. I think that goes back once again to my dad, the L.A. connection. I think my first professional game I ever saw was the Dodgers versus the Pirates, and Pedro Guerrero was playing. And I was supposed to love Pedro Guerrero because he was the Dodgers' best player. But the Dodgers A's, Kirk Gibson's walk-off, all of that, when they show it on YouTube, I remember that. I remember where I was. We had a green shag carpet downstairs in the basement, all of us. We got to stay up later uh, because it was game one, the World Series, because it mattered. Um, and when Gibson hit that homer, it was, you know, like everyone in L.A. and everyone that's a Dodgers fan, pure pandemonium. But I can remember that being like a championship moment for me with the Dodgers, even though it's a sport that I, you know, I didn't play past that year, really, myself. Um, Notre Dame's first appearance on here uh, is number 38, actually. Number 28 is like their first winning appearance. That's the thing with my list. So I go through some of these, you're going to notice, hey, Kip, do your teams ever win games? Yeah, I mean, if you look at my squad, I mean, the Cowboys obviously have a run. The Lakers had a great three-peat run. The Magic, with Kobe and Shaq, the Magic years were great. But a lot of these are losses. Um, and if you're a sports fan out there, maybe you kind of relate to that. Like, all of your memories of, like, these games that mean something were lost. Like, I'm sitting in my room. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm sitting in my... Uh, basement. I'm listening on the radio. I'm watching on my phone. You know, in the in the here and now, modern times, and there are these devastating moments of loss. But it probably also taught you something, and if the very least, probably got you to say to yourself, "Why do you care so much? None of these people know you." Uh, but that's a, that's another conversation. But I got Notre Dame winning the Fiesta Bowl in '89. I do remember that. Uh, but I also remember my first Notre Dame moment was when they Gary Faust was the coach, I believe, in '85 when they played Miami. And I remember watching that game, and it was—I mean, the score was like 58 to six, but it might as well have been 110 to nothing. And if you add in that, and a couple of my friends, and then eventually Kane when he was more audible than 85 but in the the early 90s the catholics versus convicts years when he's a miami fan and i'm a notre dame fan things get real but this is kind of the first time you'll see in my list of, of notre dame stuff the hoyas georgetown makes an appearance 27 i remember vividly espn was broadcasting which seems like blasphemy now that cbs is the only group that the cbs and now turner and tnt but espn had the first round of the ncaa attorney in 89 uh, Georgetown Princeton. It might have been two fifteen game, maybe even a one sixteen game, and Princeton damn near beat him in '89. And I'm pretty sure Alonzo was on that team. Might have been his freshman year, uh, but I remember that as my like first March Madness moment. 
Um, I always was a Hoya fan, and I, and I think I was aware that Patrick Ewing was a Hoya and they were good, but that was the first time the tournament is crazy. This could happen, and watching that all the way down. Uh, I don't remember, obviously, the announcers that were doing it, but I remember it was Georgetown-Princeton and being just scared to death. What I probably should have found out was, you know, 15, 20 years later, Georgetown's going to keep losing to, to opponents that are seated lower than them in the tournament. This one they escaped, uh, but that's my first Georgetown memory. Um, the Cowboys show up on here, um, 1990, number 26. And this is not a win either. The Cowboys were, I remember this and a lot of you guys out there have always asked, well, how in the hell is Kippa Samoan who grew up in Montana and likes the Dallas Cowboys? Um, I can tell you this, my first, like, you know, you have those storage bins or cans, the wrong word, but it's kind of shaped like a trash can that you could buy with NFL teams on it. You could store in your room as you're growing up all your little equipment, your helmets, your baseball bats, anything you could get your hands on. Well, mine in my room was an Eagles one. And my mom claims that I was an Eagles fan early because I just like green. So when you're a little kid, you associate the colors, right? The Cowboys... I just flipped a switch. I remember Tony Hill, Tony Dorsett, as I had had those guys posters. Um, but 90, Jimmy Johnson was the Cowboys coach, and I hadn't been alive for Cowboys success. I remember a playoff game in 85, I think, is earlier on the list that I have where they got beat. Uh, but I didn't really have a season that I followed closely until 90. And Jimmy Johnson was the coach. They were coming off 1-15. And they had gotten to where they just needed to win in 90 one of their last two games. And the first time they had a shot at it was against the Eagles. It was on CBS, the late window. And I was in our living room. Not our living room, our dining room. Because you couldn't. there's no TV in our living room. And I was at the table, a little tiny-ass TV that we had the Atari or the Nintendo hooked up to at the time. Uh, it was color, but it was that back in the day when that TV only had two, four, and eight on its channels. So we're watching it on CBS before they lost the NFC um, to Fox. And Aikman gets hurt, Troy Aikman gets hurt in the middle of the first quarter, and they go to Babe Laufenberg. And he might even still be there, play by one of their an, game analysts on the radio. But Babe came in, and he was terrible and they lost and then he was the starter the next week and they lost again and I remember that was my first true devastation boy the Cowboys mean a lot to me because they just lost this game in Philly and I can't function like for an hour I'm just sitting there arms folded pouted I got those huge glasses on just mumbling to myself Kane's probably taunting me because the Bears were probably good then still uh, but I remember that was the launch of really Kip obsessing with the Cowboys uh, and as I kind of go through this list the Cowboys might be on here the most you guys can read it over on Medium uh, but the Cowboys are everywhere on here and if you ask my wife the Cowboys absolutely are the team that still to this day will get me off my rocker crazy if they lose, uh, there's more a general sense of relief when they win now, probably more so from her because she'd like to have a household that doesn't have a lunatic running around. Uh, and I was going through this list and there's not a lot of these Cowboys games that I list on here where they win. I have number 23, I have their playoff run in 92 where they won the first, first Super Bowl for me when I was alive. This is their fourth overall. Next year was five, or uh, third overall, and then their fourth. Um, but even that, I don't think I had as much. I remember them beating San Francisco in the, in the NFC Championship game that year, and I had legitimate, like, this is crazy cool, we're winning. 
but the rest of them, maybe almost one one each one is when they lost. Like number nineteen, they lost to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. And I was in high school by then. It was the end. It ended their run at a three-peat. So I've been spoiled as a fan. But I also like to run my mouth about the Cowboys. And I knew, and we had basketball practice that day. Well, first of all, my dad invited one of his coaching buddies over to the house. And I vividly remember him yelling, because he was cheering for the Cowboys like me, but he was, Dion was playing, Dion Sanders was playing for the Niners. And he missed a tackle on Emmett Smith. And this coach yelled out, I could bench more than Dion. Dion's trash. And I think I latched on and repeated that word, that phrase to everybody at practice that day at Skyview High School basketball, because I had nothing else, because they had lost. Um, there were some 49er fans that were upperclassmen. I think I was a sophomore that year. And the seniors on the team were Niners fans. And it was unbearable uh, to have to go to that practice after that, uh, which kind of like set the stage for <laughs> Maybe I, I might have learned some of this. Uh, if you look at number 24 on there, Lakers versus Bulls, game five in the NBA Finals. Um, Jordan beat Magic, so Kane was on cloud nine because he dominated our house. The rest of us were all devastated. But the second that game is winding down, a friend of mine in elementary school calls our house phone. Remember when they're all, you know, we didn't have cell phones, but the house phone rings, and I'm like, I know exactly who that is. Because it's the guy in my friend circle that loves the Bulls and wants to tell me all about this loss. And my dad or my mom, I can't remember who, I said, I'm not answering that. I know who it is. And they said, no, you're going to do it because this is part of being a fan. You got to be a fan in the good and a fan in the bad. So I answered the phone and he just let me have it. You know, imagine an elementary school kid age, or maybe it was even seventh grade. Just let me have it. How does it feel? Magic sucks. Michael's the best. Yada, yada, yada. I just had to take it. I wanted to strangle myself with the phone because uh, it had those long cords at the time. But I took it, hung up. Um, and that was similar to this situation with the Cowboys at number 19 that I just had to go wear it. So, I, you know, knowing that, I think that's, Something I've tried to teach my kids because they both have their teams now. You know, they're both very passionate about a couple of their teams. Not all of them like I was, but a couple of them. They get pretty upset if they lose. Um, and I and I, I can catch myself saying, nah, hey, if you're going to be a fan in the good times, you got to be a fan in the bad times. Uh, so that's probably a lesson on there that, that I took from this list. Um, there's a couple more on here that I thought were interesting that stood out to me. Number 18. Georgetown versus UMass in the Elite Eight. That was Allen Iverson's sophomore year versus Marcus Camby, Edgar Padilla, Carmelo Travieso, and John Calipari was coaching UMass. It was a one versus two seed game. Um, and I remember being at a high school party the night before, the Friday night before the East Regional Final. And yeah, mom and dad, Kip was at a party as, what was I, a junior then? Um, no, I didn't drink anything. I was the driver for everybody again, real fun sponge. But everybody in there was taunting me because I was the only Georgetown fan in attendance. Everybody was like, no, UMass is going to win. And I was vehemently opposed. Uh, so picture the f- futility of arguing with drunk high school kids about Iverson is better than Camby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Georgetown just got smacked, absolutely smacked, destroyed. I knew Iverson was going to leave. Um, so it was, it was the end. I think I don't, as big an Allen Iverson fan as everybody out there knows I have been forever. I think I was at the peak of it when he was at Georgetown. Maybe the 01 year I might've surpassed it, but when he was at Georgetown, I mean, I gave a speech in high school about him. You know, I got an A, obviously, uh, but I it was, that was my obsession with him started there and that end of the run, you know, him, Victor Page, uh, who David Gunn from our Listen Up segment told me is in prison for murder. It doesn't really shock me at this point. Othella Harrington, uh, Jerome, 
Junkyard Dog Williams. Uh, who else was on that team? John Jocks might have been the on that team. Bubakar Ah was on that team. Uh, the big Jahidi White was on that team. They were loaded, and they just got crushed uh, in that game, and that was absolutely devastating to me. Probably followed closely. It's on this list as number 17, but that was followed closely by first year back from college, two years later, Lakers versus Jazz, Game 4, Western Conference Finals, 98. My mom picked me up for my freshman year in college uh, at Willamette, and we were driving back um, and all throughout the year. That was the year the Lakers had Shaq, Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, and Kobe all on the same team. Uh, and they beat the Sonics. They were rolling. And the whole way back, we were amped, talking about the Lakers in the finals against Jordan. It's going to be great. And I get home, talking to all my friends back from college, and they get swept in that game four sweep, just watching them go through the motions. That's Nick Van Exel, one, two, three, Cancun. I remember the announcers talking about Derek Fisher, who obviously would go on to great things with the Lakers. He's a rookie, and he wrote a letter to the team the night before that they had to step up and win game four, and they obviously nobody read it or they just didn't pay attention because they got their ass whipped in the form in game four. They traded Eddie the next year. That was another one of my irrational, like, Kip, Eddie Jones is not better than Kobe Bryant, but you could not have told me that in 98. 97, 98, there's no way. I did not want to trade Eddie Jones. The Lake Show team was as my – I liked the Lake Show team that couldn't get past the Jazz more than I liked the, old zero, the 2000, 2001, 2002 three-peat team. Not, not even close. I loved that Lake Show team. And when they got swept, oh, it was brutal. Um, interesting one pops up later on in the teens. Oregon versus Michigan State. No, I was never a Ducks fan. Everybody knows me growing up, Notre Dame, period, college football. My buddy, my uh, college roommate and teammate, Joe Carmichael, had season tickets. He's from Eugene. Season tickets, and now we're sophomores. We're bored on a Saturday before our season starts. He's like, hey, why don't you come with me to Autzen Stadium? I was like, oh, what the hell is an Autzen Stadium? So he's like, just come with me. We get in his Jeep. We drive down I-5 from Salem to Eugene. It's about a 45, 50-minute drive. We get stuck in game day traffic, and there's just bumper-to-bumper people. And I remember this vividly. He's veering off the road towards this exit. I don't know if it's Brownsville or something in Oregon. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, I'm not going to follow these lemmings. I know a back cut to the stadium. I have no idea why this guy is so hell-bent on getting to this game. You know, Montana is not not Pac-12 football. Got the cats and the grizz, but even then I didn't go to a lot of those games. I only watched Notre Dame on Saturdays and went about my business. We get to Otson, and this is before Otson expanded. So this is, I still think, I'd argue this day, this is when it's at its loudest. Akili Smith is the quarterback. They're playing Michigan State. Michigan State had Michael Irvin's cousin, Cedric Irvin. And they're they're supposed to be really good. They're preseason ranked. The Ducks are the Ducks. Nobody cares about them um, outside of Oregon at the time. But they got Akili Smith. They're wearing the yellow helmets, green jerseys, yellow pants, long green socks. I walk into this Thunderdome, and Joe's got great seats. His family's been Duck supporters forever, and we're down close. And it is just like my ears are bleeding. But from that moment on, I was a Ducks fan. Like I just I was converted on the spot that this is too cool of a scene. To not just jump on the bandwagon. No reason to like them other than that moment. And that, for the rest of my time out here in Oregon since 97, I've been a Ducks guy. You know, we had some some interesting sidebar podcast material for a couple years where we were Beaver fans uh, because of a family relationship. But other than that, even my oldest now is a irrationally 
loyal Ducks fan. And it all stems from that game in 98 versus Michigan State. All the way through, I mean, the Chip Kelly championship run when they lost to Auburn and Cam Newton through the Mariota run when they lost to Ohio State. But all those duck seasons have always been, what are you doing like in the Ducks? That's the game. Um, as, as we get down closer to the end and we get farther, we get through the there's, – there's a lot of Sixer stuff popping up. There's a couple Lakers things. Like when Shaq and Kobe were winning, I was still on the Laker train. But if I had the, – the ultimate pinnacle of this, number 11, is in uh, 2001 when Iverson's MVP year and that Sixers team with Mutombo, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, that team and Iverson at his peak – played Shaq and Kobe, which the 0-1 Lakers might be the best NBA team of all time. Uh, and Iverson, that's the game he dropped 48, stepped over Ty Lue. They won the game. Uh, and that's when NBA TV was just starting. So I would lo- that whole Iverson run in 0-1, Kelly, I was living with Kelly at her house. Um, it was right after we graduated, so we hadn't moved to an apartment yet to start grad school. So we were in this house. Her and her roommates would be, I'd give them the main room. I would go to Kelly's room and picture those old, not a flat, and it wasn't like a big screen TV, but it was like 28 inches, but it was still the, the big width and depth of a box TV. And I'd lock myself in there in full Iverson gear. And I watched all those game sevens versus the wrapped. I mean, I watch every game, obviously. That's when Mike Breen was just starting to make his name. Um, and Doug Collins was still his, his his partner. So all those Iverson wins over the Vince Carter Raptors, the Ray Allen Bucks, and then that game one over Shaq and Kobe. And NBA TV was just starting to be on 24 hours a day. So you could watch like Iverson when he was he came to the game in army fatigues. And they were asking him, are you tired? You know, Eric's tired. Aaron, Aaron's tired. And Iverson said, fatigue is army clothes. And he wore it. And it was just the craziest, best thing ever. Uh, in that game, like, I, don't, I don't even remember the rest of the series. I know they got beat four straight, gentlemen sweep, um, and they ran out of gas. They were playing Todd McCullough versus Shaq, for God's sake. Just come on. Uh, but that game in and of itself cemented everything with Iverson for me. Despite everything that happened afterwards, um, that game's enough. It verified everything. And I actually have that jersey, a jersey of his from 01 signed in my office uh, at school. Uh, the Cowboys are back here towards the bottom, the, the last 10. Uh, there's a Cowboys versus Giants Monday Night Football when Bills Parcells actually won a game and gave me a little hope. But there's one on here that kind of changed the tide of everything for me as a sports fan. There's number eight on there, Cowboys versus regu- Redskins, regular season 2006. So we, Kelly and I are living at home. Uh, she might have been pregnant with Lincoln at the time, or we were trying our first week. still just us two. Uh, my buddy Jason Searle lived literally in the house behind us. We had a little walkway that went between houses. So we could go to his house to watch the ticket, the direct ticket on his satellite, or we could watch you know, the game of the week that was on Fox or ABC, uh, NBC at our place. I get home, and I'm watching the Cowboys-Redskins, and it's a game where Romo does Romo things. He throws picks, etc. The Cowboys do Cowboys things um, where they kick. They're trying to kick a game-winning field goal. I think it's 19 to 19. Romo throws a Witten. It looks like they're going to win. And I'm sitting there by myself because at this point in time, Kelly's gone over across the Searles house with Jay uh, and Karina, and they're just hanging out. I'm supposed to come over there after the game. Well, they line up for the field goal, and Mike Vanderjat, if you remember, uh, Peyton Manning, made fun of him as that goddamn kicker, whatever his name is. He's the Cowboys kicker at the time. He gets the field goal. Not only does he get the game-winning t- game field goal blocked, the game's tied, so it shouldn't be a problem. He not only gets it blocked, Sean Taylor, rest in peace, Redskin safety, picks the damn thing up, and he's running 40 yards the other way, and one of the Cowboys' fat linemen 
drags him down by his face mask. So not only did they block the game-winning field goal, he ran at 30 yards, then we illegally tackled him, and they got 15 more yards and kicked a game-winning field goal, all with no time left on the clock because it's all an extra down. I remember I, I blacked out. At some point when they called the flag, which was a legit flag, Kelly had a stack of newspapers because we were still getting newspapers day to day in 06. I think those newspapers ended up in every crevice of our living room because I threw them, I screamed, I punched things. I think I broke a lamp. Like it was just full on rage. Like just lose your shit time by me. And I and she came in. I don't know if she heard me from across the street or if she was still in the house. And she was like, you got to stop. You got to look at what the hell you're doing. That's a team. That's, you don't. They don't know you. You know, all these things that you tell fans, right? So from that point on, I mean, the next one on here is the Cowboys and the Seahawks, the wild card game where Romo drops the damn ball. Um, and then some other Cowboys ones later, like when Aaron Rodgers beat him in 2016. But there's a lot of Cowboy moments of like, I still go back to that, like, I can't go magazine, Statesman Journal, Rage, if they lose this game. I mean, so much so if you go to number five, Cowboys versus Packers, when the Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott's first year winning, and they got them to the divisional playoff, they're the number one seed, everything's looking great. My team was in a rut. We had had a terrible start to conference play. I think we'd lost the night before to Lewis and Clark uh, up there in Portland. And I got back, and Lincoln had buddies coming over to watch the game. And as the game's unfolding and the Cowboys, you know, they're, it's back and forth, back and forth. Rodgers throws that pass off his back foot over Jeff Heath to some random tight end. that gets in there. The replay shows it's good. They kick the field goal. They win. Uh, and I tell Kelly, I was proud of myself but also a little scared of myself. I walked over and I said, I'm going to need about 20 minutes to deal with this loss. So, and I don't want to embarrass our son in front of these kids. So she said, no, I get it. Go ahead and go back to the to the back room. So I went back, shut the door to our, our bedroom, locked it, motherfucked into a pillow every word I could think of to describe the game, my current season, my buddies all texting me about their latest collapse. But I did come back out about 20 minutes later, calm and composed. So I felt like that was a nice progression for me. And even to this year, and the game's not on the list, but we had a game at Willamette during the Cowboys playoff game against the Rams in the divisional round. And, of course, they lost the game. And I didn't get to see any of it, usually which will drive me through a wall. Uh, but we won the game. The Bearcats won. So I actually was like, you know what? On the grand scheme, this cosmic you know, scale that I like to invent, like, oh, Kip, you go and get one. Cowboys win or the Bearcats win. I was like, no, I take the Bearcats every time. Now, 16 hours later, when I'm reading on my phone about their loss, I'm pissed off, but I, I wasn't raging anywhere. A um, couple other things on here before I let everybody go. There's a progression here where you see the Lakers fall off the map. When they, tra- when they lost to the Pistons and they traded Shaq, I was out. That was the first time I've ever really truly, I don't know how many of you guys out there have actually dropped a team. I dropped the Lakers. They lost the Pistons in five games. I was done. They lost, They traded Shaq, picked Kobe, which in the long run was a, was the right move for both guys. But I irrationally, I couldn't deal. I was done. Uh, I think I wrote a piece. I think I tried to get the sports guy, Bill Simmons, to let me on his mailbag for my ranting about the Shaq trade. And at that point, it was the first time I finally was like, you know what? I'm going with players. 
So I followed Iverson. He was a sixer, then he was a nugget. So suddenly you'll see the nuggets pop in here. Um, me watching nuggets games, being a nuggets addict, but only been, I haven't watched a nuggets game rooting for them since he left there. Um, I watched Shaq with the heat. Uh, you'll see the Cavs on here when they came back and beat the warriors. And most of that was just purely my love of LeBron. Um, You'll see the Blazers on here. The most recent game that was super impactful for me. The Blazers get the Thunder game five, West Round, first 2019. Um, because not only was it awesome, you know, living in Port, living in the Salem area, now you can't help but be a Blazers fan. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. Lillard's just an amazing sports like hero in this community. Uh, but I also watched it. Like our entire family, besides Xavier, who was asleep, my oldest Lincoln, my middle child Leah my wife and I we all were watching that game together and when Damien hit that shot from 40,000 feet away and waved bye-bye to the thunder you would have thought this our living room was part of the Moda Center it we all lost our minds we rewind and it was like enjoying one of the first games we've enjoyed all of us together uh, you'll see a couple on here that my son and I watched together Lincoln the Oregon versus Kansas Midwest Elite Eight uh, we watched that together, going crazy. The Dodgers and the Astros game five, World Series 2017. It was like 13 to 12. We watched every pitch of that together, him and I. So that's why they're on there because it was fun dad's son time. But this one, the Blazers Thunder, was all of us, my wife, our two oldest, enjoying it. And it was kind of like full circle. Um, me still being a fan, you know, even though I'm 40. But going back to that kid in the living room with my parents, um, you know, watching Magic's Baby Hook or any of the other things we did as a group, Gibson's Home Run in 88. It was a nice, like, completing the circle. By no means do I want the circle to be done. Obviously, we got many more circles to add. I'm only 40, for God's sake. Uh, but it was really awesome to do that together, you know, and obviously be part of the community and live in Portland, I mean, in Salem and be in the Portland area. Um, you know, that was that's probably why chronologically it's the most recent, but it probably is number one right now. All these at a given time had uh, a chance for me as the number one moment by one of my favorite teams. But that one uh, is the current champion. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Like I mentioned before, 40 series we will probably do once a week, biweekly lists of things that have helped shape this old guy talking to you on the mic. Uh, this was 40 games from my favorite teams. Uh, you can check us out here, obviously, and also re go read the series over on my Medium account. Just search Kip Ione uh, at the Medium account. Cross the streams. Content reminder, the opinions expressed on the Cross the Streams podcast are those of the host and the guests alone and do not reflect the opinions of the institutions, universities, or businesses that employ the hosts or the guests.